This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is the current CEO of the National Corn Growers Association, Rick Tolman. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS Inc. is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. CHS is diversified in energy, grains, and foods and committed to growing their business through domestic and global operations. What does it mean to be relevant in today's global agriculture marketplace? To CHS, it means having the people and facilities in place to deliver U.S. grain to a feedlot in South Korea or investing in energy production and distribution to help ensure dependable fuel supplies for our local communities. In fact, we've invested more than $1.4 billion on our owner's behalf to make sure we stay relevant now and into the future. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. This week, our guest is the CEO of the National Corn Growers Association, Rick Tolman. Prior to his tenure with the NCGA, Rick served 18 years with the U.S. Grains Council. He spent much of his career in service to the nation's feed grade industry and now is set to retire his post at the end of September. With record production and record membership, NCGA President Martin Barbary says Tolman is riding off into the sunset on a very high note. It's been a really interesting run for me, Jeff, and I and I think uh, the corn industry has gone through a lot of growing pains, a lot of uh, unique opportunities and experiences, and I think we're in a much stronger, better place because of all those things together kind of put us through the refiner's fire and, than we were 14 years ago. We've we've seen some really good times. We've seen some tough times. I mean, the, the period uh, from 2000 to 2005 when I first was on board was a pretty tough time. We, we averaged $2 a bushel during that time, and we're very cities, and then we had that, that glorious, as we look back, boom time from 2006 up until about 2011 or so. And what I, what I think was so great about that, obviously there were some unpleasant things, but, but it was such a time of opportunity for prosperity that we saw the whole industry have an opportunity to grow and invest in seed production and machinery and uh, advanced technology. And, and we're in a really strong place going forward, given that we're going to have a few rocky years going forward. When I think about this industry, I remember when we were talking about when it would happen that corn growers would produce 10 billion bushels of corn. And now, if the numbers come in correctly, we're going to exceed 14 billion again. Could be another record crop. What opportunity and what challenge does that present us, Rick? Great, great question, Jeff. And, and there is both. I, I think um, the way the corn industry and, and U.S. agriculture in, in in particular, has done so well is by being efficient producers. And sometimes when you're you're an efficient producer, you get ahead of the market and you're producing a little too much and you have surplus and it prices go down and that's a little bit tough. But but in the long run, you, you establish that credibility that you can produce, you're going to c- continue to increase producing, and so it encourages people to look at your product as an input. And I think that's that's how we got the ethanol industry going. We had the ability to satisfy our feed and food needs and our export needs, and we had some surplus left over. Let's let's put it to work, and, and it became attractive there. And I think as we go into this next period, we're, we're, we're going to have a little bit of a tough time because we're overproducing the current market, but, but the market has a great way of recognizing, hey, there's a great asset. Let's see what we can do with that extra starch and protein and, and carbon. I find it interesting that the countries who are in need are also questioning the science that we are using to be a more reliable and adequate supplier. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of irony to that. I, I think part of that is because 
the some of the some of the countries, and I'll point my finger at the EU in particular, who who aren't in need, but but um, have taken uh, a position that's tied into more of uh, they they haven't accepted the science, but they've had a big influence on these other countries, and and it's it's a little bit of a holier than thou, or I can't think of quite, quite the right word, but but it the, it's all right for the EU to do that, but the influence they have on African countries, say, or, or some of the Asian countries, is really a shame because those are the countries that need this technology and don't have the luxury of being able to feed themselves quite so well as the European Union does. How much of a hiccup has it been to our industry to see China reject? Uh, loads of grain and of our dried distilled grains. It's it, in the short run. It's it's huge. It China was uh, considered our our new bright prospect. We we um, have been forecasting for a number of years that China would follow for corn the same pattern that they follow with soybeans and become a, a, a significant trading partner with us. And we've geared up for that. And for no good reason, they have have shut that off. And it's it's. It's uh, planted, Jeff, a lot of seeds of uncertainty because China has an unfortunate history of doing this, and I think it, it makes us suspect of how reliable they will be in the future, which is a shame because they need, they need what we produce, we need what they produce. All in the same vein of a discussion over sustainability. There are some who use this word to define how farmers should produce as opposed to words that you used a minute ago with regard to a, uh, an effort toward efficiency. So that word sustainability should be very positive and, and word for us, but to many farmers it's like a cudgel beating them on the head that, that, uh, because people use a blanket and say, you're, you're not sustainable because of the kind of practices that you use. And, and frankly, sustainability ought to be based on outcomes, not methods of producing. If you can produce uh, sustainably, which to me means that you're, you're um, saving uh, resources for the next generation, you're able, able to produce more than you use in terms of, of your, your inputs, then you're sustainable. And whether you do that in organic matter, you do it in conventional agriculture, you use no-till, you use limited till, what, whatever method you use, if the outcome is that you're using fewer of those resources producing more, that's sustainable. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people have narrowed that definition and use, use it the wrong way. I don't know if we have expanded from, but I know that corn growers were challenged for indirect land use with regard to ethanol. It, it seems that as your efficiency overall is being challenged, when from my observation of producers, it's been efficiency and, and meeting the economics of scale that have helped you survive. Exactly right. That that whole uh, indirect land use piece is so so ironic. That hit on very poor and sketchy science. It got a lot of publicity, and it got ingrained in the lexicon, and people use that term. There's been tremendous advances in the science of that, and, and many, or if not most, of the people that were critical of the ethanol industry with that measures of indirect land use have, have subsequently come out with studies and, and, and rectified that, and, and frankly, ethanol and corn production has a tremendous return on investment, and, and, frank, and, and as a very bright uh, land use measures, as you said, and yet that hasn't gotten the publicity. It hasn't gotten picked up, uh, or hasn't gotten put where it should. And it's it's a real shame. That's we've got that misconception to, to deal with. We're following a vote in Missouri where 496,000 individuals in that state did not agree that there should be a right to farm. Fortunately, 498,000 did agree, and now that's in the books. How is that debate? How is that challenge? exemplary of where we stand in the industry today and how does that affect corn 
You know, it's, it's a great microcosm, uh, Jeff, because it was, if, if you look at the way those votes went, it, went, it strongly was supported in the rural area. Uh, in St. Louis County, where I live, it was defeated. And it's because the non-farm population really doesn't understand what's going on in farming. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch ran an editorial opposing the amendment, saying it was it would only allow um, large corporations, corporate farms, as they say, to, to thrive. In reality, this is all about family farms who, who may or may not be incorporated. And it, and it gets right down to this misconception that we have uh, uh, between the urban and, and the rural population about what, what the lifestyles are, what, what they do, what farming is all about. I believe that the vast majority of people who voted against that amendment, if they would have really understood what it was all about, would have voted for it. They, they support farming and farmers. They just don't quite understand what farming and farmers are about today. During your tenure as leader of the Corn Growers Association, you guys have spent some time defining yourself and sharing that message inside the Beltway as, a, as well as across the country that the majority of your producers are family operations and some other basic facts that perhaps producers took for granted that the consumer just didn't know. You're exactly right. It's one of the things that gives me a lot of optimism about going forward. When I first came to NCJ, we didn't spend a lot of time talking to consumers. We didn't really feel that was our business. They they knew. They, 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 they should have known about farming and food, and we've come to realize that that was a huge mistake. All of us in agriculture have to tell our story, and when we do, we by and large get a very willing and, and supportive audience. But if we don't tell them uh, the way things are out there, they get misconceptions and misunderstood. And so I, I'm enthused, Jeff, because we have a lot more farmers now who are involved in social media, who are speaking out about their operation, they're engaging with their, their urban and suburban friends and neighbors, and, and that bodes well, because when we can get their attention our, our story goes over very well well your message goes through social media your message goes at the coffee shop and at, at the the grassroots level but rick it also appears that you have challenge in washington because the divide between those who are from farms and those who are not farms is ever present in the congress from the house to the senate we are a minority, and, and we're getting more and more of a minority, and there is no way that the legislators that represent rural areas can carry our, our policies anymore. There's just not enough of them. So we are forced and have to reach out to the urban legislators and help them understand our, our message. It, it's one of the reasons we have a program called Corn Farmers Coalition CFC, and we're it's focused only in D.C. We have advertising uh, in the metro stations that, during the summers. We have advertising on the Washington Post and the Politico and the Hill magazine just to get at those policymakers and their staff and explain to them and very simple messages. The, these are family farmers. They have the same values that you do. They're concerned about their family. They want to raise a good crop and, and just get that sort. And it's been very, very effective. But, you know, we, we have to target right into the legislature. During your tenure uh, with the corn growers, we've seen the ethanol industry explode. And we also see it now challenged uh, from the industry and also from the regulatory process. Uh, take it down to this year. You're still waiting on the volumetric output uh, uh, announcement from the Environmental Protection Agency. You're waiting on other um, other pieces to come together that spell a lot for where the future of the industry can grow. We we are, and it can get quite discouraging when you look at it in that in that standpoint. The number of uh, pieces of legislation that keep floating up that would cut back the RFS or limit what it can do. The the uh, proposal by EPA. We can go on and on and on. 
I, I, I was looking the other day at some old files, and back in 2004, we had done some forecasting along with the Renewable Fuels Association, and we were hoping by 2010 or 2011, we could reach 8 billion gallons of ethanol. That was a very optimistic viewpoint. Well, we're, we're over and we, over 13 billion this year, way beyond what we ever thought could happen. And, and I think that's something we have to keep in perspective. This is a huge success story, what we've been able to do. We're 10% of the gasoline marketplace, and the reason the oil industry is pushing back so hard on it is we're poised to take another 5% or maybe another 10% after that. Um, and there's some realism to that. While we fight a number of battles and we lose some, we are in one sense, winning the war because we're making making progress. Now, it doesn't mean we, we can be complacent, but it is such a huge success story. I think I, I, we have to be ever vigilant, but I think we need to realize w- what a tremendous accomplishment we've made. Well, $3 corn obviously helps the the, uh, the prospects for corn-based ethanol, but if you could find uh, opportunity uh, for the cellulosic industry to grow as corn-based ethanol has, then you would really be looking at a larger market share. We absolutely would because there's a, uh, some regulatory uh, markets that that we can't get to with the starch or the kernel grain-based uh, corn ethanol, and we can get in there with the cellulose. Anyway, it gives another product that farmers can sell, another opportunity. And, uh, you know, that's what we have to do, Jeff, is be opportunistic and, and rely a little bit on serendipity to take advantage of these unique markets. They don't always make sense logically, but they're, they're creatures of, of the environment we're in, the regulatory environment, and so we have to be ready to take advantage of those. You also have challenges from the regulatory front with regard to the environment, from the Endangered Species Act that's there, but especially now with waters of the U.S. from the Environmental Protection Agency. You just left Corn Congress with your delegates from uh, you just left Corn Congress with your delegates from across the country. Did they have a position on the matter, and where do you see this going? Yeah, we're we're uh, much like all the other mainstream groups in U.S. agriculture. We're very strongly opposed to the um, the expansion of the Endangered Species Act and, and the waters of the USA. We've called on EPA to withdraw their their ruling and to revise it and go back and look at look at it differently. Uh, we're we're supportive of the efforts in Congress to make some changes. You know, it's 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 an interesting challenge because on the surface, why wouldn't you want cleaner water? Or why don't you want more livestock or excuse me, wildlife availability? You want to protect it. We're all in favor of that. It's 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 when well-meaning things get out of control and 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 start impacting. Uh, creating the trade-offs so that we have that that challenge. So it's so farmers are all all for clean water, but they also are able to do that on their own or with some good guidance without undue regulation, where somebody's calling, coming and telling them how to farm, which which in, in, in a lot of situations creates unintended consequences where you get just the opposite of what you want. So that that that's our concern, and it's it's a challenge to get the rest of the country again to understand that we farmers know they need to have some regulations and guidelines, but they need to have realistic ones that make sense so they continue to do the job that they do and, and accomplish what the regulations are intended to do. Uh, Rick, if you're in front of your delegates now and you're in front of what is now, again, record membership for the National Corn Growers Association, what's your charge about where you've been, but more importantly, their hand to the task of the days ahead that, that needs to be accomplished that uh, that you see the, the, the charge needs to move on? In, in, a, in a nutshell, what I w- would tell them and have been telling them, Jeff, is uh, they need to be activists. They, they no more can sit 
back on their farm, and I don't mean that negatively, and, and just focus on producing a crop, they've got to be involved in the image of their of their profession, their business, and they've got to be actively involved in social media and in talking to their friends and neighbors and talking to their politicians. We are a an endangered species. If you look at the family farmer, there's there, there, there we're a minority, and we have to be engaged and speak out. And, and so I wouldn't... We, we, we've made some tremendous progress, but we've got a long ways to go, and we need many more farmers to be engaged, to be involved, and to step out. Rick, anything else you'd add? I just want to say what a, what a pleasure it's been to be able to work with farmers and, and work in this industry. And When I was in college, I was in a business management accounting course, uh, heading that direction of major, and in my junior year, I thought, you know, I really enjoy working in agriculture. I've had relatives that farmed, and so I switched to Ag Econ, and, and it's something I've never never regretted. I've, I've worked with really fine people like you and others in, in this field, and I just really have enjoyed it, and I appreciate all the opportunities and friendships that I've made. Our congratulations to Rick Tolman on an outstanding career and dedicated service to the nation's agriculture industry. AgriPulse Open Mic brought to you by CHS Inc., a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States, diversified in energy, grains, and foods, and committed to growing their business through domestic and global operations. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.